This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to another episode of Just a Tip, and I, I'm going to start over because I always say like just a tip and people think I'm saying just the tip. So I'm going to like do an A. Here we go. I, every time I was saying it, was saying just the tip I also. know, but that, that's. And then I was like, it's a lot more sexual, I think, than what her podcast is supposed to be. I know. It's so wholesome. And that's like, I was like, maybe if I start really accentuating the A, then it won't get confused. <laughs> All, everything I do just for the play on words. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of Just A Tip, an advice podcast that's equally about its tangents as it is about its tips. I'm your host, Megan Batune, quarantining now in Vermont. And today we have the help of stand-up comedian featured on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening. And after a quick internet stalk, hater of floral arrangements, Sophia Alexandra. hi 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 i'm so happy to be here thank you for having me i am stoked first of all before i get into your quarantine setup do you actually hate floral arrangements no it was a really stupid pun where i was like i don't want i hate floral arrangements i want my flowers to meet and fall in love in the wild it was the dumbest arrangement pun ever. It was like an. I was watching Ninety Day Fiance and was it was like oh arranged marriage I could do this floral arrangement joke. Please don't make me ever talk about this again. <laughs> Too easy. Um. Okay. Now let's talk about your quarantine setup. Where are you at? Um. I am uh, at my place with my husband in Los Angeles, and we have two cats and we just got a puppy. So that is my quarantine setup. Wait, so you got a puppy right before quarantine? No, like three weeks ago. No. How's that been the acclimation to the two cats? He is um, so far not allowed to be around them unsupervised (gasps) because we have to like slowly introduce them. He's so little. He's does. He's like very, he's, he's a sweet little idiot, you know? So he like wants to engage with them, but we don't want him to hurt them, you know? So we like let him come close and sniff them Mm -hmm. and kind of get in the dominant pose in front of, I mean, in the submissive pose in front of them to like show them that he's not going to hurt them. And then we're like, okay, that was enough for right now. But ideally I want them all to cuddle very soon. 
Yeah, of course. That's like the when you get a, a goldfish from the fair and you've got to put the water in the tank so that, like, I guess it can not die on shock. <laughs> it's like the same thing with cats and dogs, but I've been so scared. I have two cats as well, and every time a friend of mine brings a dog around, I'm like, ugh, this whole jig again. It's Yeah, it's thing. very stressful. Sorry. My friend was telling me that when she got a puppy with her ex-boyfriend that it like almost broke them up because they were like no. not agreeing on how to raise the puppy. And I was like, oh, I can totally see that. It is stressful having a puppy. It's like it's like children training, kind of, would you say? Yeah. It's like, are you gonna be the strict one? Who are, you know, which what's your role or whatever? Wow. So you kind of have to agree so that not one of you is like being a dick and the other one's like the puppy loves the other one because, you know, never totally. gets disciplined. So that. <laughs> Los Angeles, I just heard that you got you guys, I'm from LA, but I'm quarantined in Vermont right now for a job. But I heard that you're going backwards in quarantine, right? Like yes. stage two. Yes, girl. You- yes. So <laughs> stupid. How is that affecting you? Um, Mostly, I feel like I'm angry and worried for other people. Like, luckily... I mean, I can't tour as a stand-up right now. And, like, it sucks having a new album that I just put out and I can't tour it. But luckily, I also have podcasting and I can write. So, you know, and we're doing some Zoom shows and stuff like that. But my friends that are, you know, their jobs were either being touring comedians um, and the other half of the time they're, like, waiters or bartenders because it's flexible. And Mm. now they don't have one way of making money and the other one is them putting themselves in danger of getting COVID because all of this stuff is reopened way too quickly and if anyone who's ever worked in a restaurant or a bar knows there's no way to be able to make it safe for everyone it just that's not how it works so it sucks that Gavin Newsom essentially just caved to the fact that oh the state is losing money businesses are losing money so you know we're going to reopen too quickly set everything back anyway which is if we would have stayed shut down for the proper amount of time to begin with, then we could reopen sooner and have it be safe. Right. It's like buying a cheap vacuum, being like, this will clean it up, and then it breaking continuously, and then you have to keep on buying some cheap-ass vacuums, and why don't you just invest in a Dyson and we won't have this problem anymore? Actually, I did one time... (laughs) Invest in a Dyson and it is not worth it. Don't do it. Oh my God. That's so fun. I do have one. I have two Dysons, LOL. But like one of them isn't good. So yeah, I mean, I guess. No, it sucks. The battery dies so quick. I just really fell for the Nazi commercials. I don't know why as a Jew, I was like, this efficient Nazi (laughs) really seems to know what vacuums are all about. But then have you ever, there's like a famous Reddit thread with like, um, a vacuum cleaner, uh, what is it? Repairman. And I've he never heard of it. Just goes in on all the different kinds of vacuums and what's good and what sucks. Honestly, one time I wasted so much time going down that rabbit hole, but it's somehow weirdly fascinating. Anyway, don't Dude, get I a Dyson. I love Reddit. <laughs> I love Reddit so much as when you were like when you said a famous Reddit thread I just imagined like a Hollywood Walk of Fame star with a hyperlink of the Reddit thread and I was like oh that's not too far from us I bet you that will happen <laughs> You have to excuse that- 
this, I have, Sorry, like a, go ahead. I have this guy, I guess, uh, mowing the lawn right now. And so that is another thing that we're dealing with here. <laughs> so I apologize for that. And everyone listening. I mean, classic <sighs> zoom shit. Every time there's a leaf blower, when I'm recording something, I'm like, Hey, <laughs> they must know. But I want to ask you a little bit more about, I guess the effect of the pandemic on you as a standup, because I, I mean, you can't, tour you can't perform I think that I read somewhere that they were gonna maybe open up some comedy uh clubs but like have people away from each other and so like half capacity I'm I'm not sure like what are your thoughts so um some clubs are I know um are reopening at like 40 percent capacity or something and are having really strict rules about the way that people eat and drink and um the way it's like cashless. You mm. don't ever exchange money or like touch anything. I don't know. Um, and I know that some of them have been having good success with it. Like I know the comedy attic, I think has been doing a really good job. That's where I recorded my album um, in Bloomington. They uh, apparently have been doing a pretty good job of reopening, but obviously I'm scared and I, I'm not ready to go back to touring. Like I survived cancer. If COVID takes me down, you know how fucking pissed I will be. Right. Right. Wow. Seriously? You know, like that would make me so mad if essentially a strain of the flu killed me. Like, God damn it. I would be so mad. So it's just not worth it. And I'm not getting back out there. And I know a lot of people who are also like immunocompromised or have like pre-existing conditions for them. It's just not an option. Or if you communicate with other people who are like my mom is uh, 70. I am her only child. She is a single mom who if I kill her I mean come on like I can't this is there's networks that you're embedded in and you have to care about the people that are in your network my husband has asthma like we all have to be really careful and take care of each other and I can't chance that by being like well I'd really like to go and perform at a club which God knows I would right but I can't risk it it's it's too much of a gamble so right now like I just started um a zoom stand-up show that I'm going to be doing every two weeks on Saturdays. So like you just try to do your own thing and to readjust because you can still write jokes, you know, you can still make people laugh. It's just going to be slightly different. It's like readjusting to having like, say, Twitter when we never had it. Right. Or communicating to each other through text. It's like there's adjustments to be made, but it's all possible. Right. I think that's so smart to do. Basically, you have to change with the times. And although these times are horrific, you're making the most out of them, especially with the Zoom and with not putting yourself or other people at risk. I think that's like the the whole thing of the when people are not wearing a mask, they're not thinking about anybody else but themselves, which is really unfortunate. My question is, what about stand-up or people that want to be stand-ups and they can't go to open mics and they don't have an audience to start Zoom Zoom shows. Like, what would your advice be to someone who wants to get into that world? But this is the worst time probably in history to try and get into stand-up. Um, I would say don't. <laughs> yeah, just wait. <laughs> I mean, just wait it out. I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick or trying to be negative, but if people who are professional comedians are having a hard time adjusting to this world, it would be like you starting journalism now. I would be like, it's admirable, but like is there, are you going to be able to make a living? Are you prepared for the life of a freelancer? Mm. Are you prepared to do five different jobs 
when you're not on stage, you know what I mean? That involve like everything from podcasting to like comedians I know have literally every job you can think of. Um, work from home gigs that you would be like, oh, who's captioning porn? We are. You know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Any job you can think of that's weird, like, yeah, that's who's doing it. Right. We are. So, you know, do you want to, for the next however long this lasts, to not do the one thing that you do stand up for, which is the experience of stand up? Do you right. want to not do that, but do everything else? And, you know, that's not the fun part. Mm -hmm. I would just wait until you can actually do the real thing and see if it's for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that would be the hardest thing to try and understand if, if you like it or not by doing it online. I mean, yeah, like you're not getting the regular laughs even. So, and also, you know, if you suck, you probably wouldn't know because yeah. How, you know, no one's going to be like, "Oh, you the whole experience is also like hanging out at the show before and after, talking to other comics." You know, it's I don't think it can be approximated for a beginner right now. I think right. people who've been doing stand-up can do mics right now and they get what this is, mm -hmm. but yeah. Wow, when you, before you became a stand-up, what were you working a million of jobs? A million of jobs. Were you working millions of jobs? <laughs> or like, how did you get into this industry? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had every job probably you can think of. I've done construction, I've painted construction? houses. Construction? Yeah. When I lived in Maine, I did roofing and siding. Wow. Yeah. And then I was on a painting crew. Um, so I've done that kind of stuff. I was a nude figure model for artists when I lived in DC. Uh, I helped a, a man move um, who was a hoarder oh my in God. Philly for money. I worked at Planned Parenthood in Bristol when I lived in Philly. I also worked at a bookstore. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I worked at Google for two years. You've done everything. I think you've worked. I would be hard pressed to find a jobs. job. <laughs> yeah. What, what, I'd be really hard pressed to find a job that I haven't done. I'm like trying to think I'm like, I what, mean, not the ones where you need to, a lot of training for, but, but right, everything right. else. Dang, that is so wild. And then, so when did you decide that you wanted to be a standup? Um, I think that I've always been kind of um, really into language and I've always been a writer and I've been writing since I was a kid, but I didn't really realize until kind of later that a lot of my stuff was ending up kind of funny. Mm. Um, when I started writing more is like uh, in my twenties and I also did improv comedy. And then um, I was in a class with a guy who was like, Oh, I do stand up. I think you'd be really good at it. You should wow. like come do my show. And then literally I was like, oh, okay. I'd done stand-up in Philly like twice at open mics, but in, not in any way that it was like serious. And I was like, I want to be a comedian. Do you know what I mean? That took, I think, me doing it in LA after having done improv for a while where it was just like, oh, I don't have to pay a coach. I don't have to like schedule with a million people on my team to practice, to mm -hmm. then do this. It was improv was fun, but it was so much work and required so many other people. And the appeal of standup was like, oh, I'm getting still getting the laughter. But all I had to do was bring myself here. 
Wow. And I don't need to hire anybody and I don't have to pay. Like improv is very, I think, exclusionary to people who don't have a lot of money because the classes are already expensive, but then you also have to hire a coach and you have to get a practice space or, you know, it's prohibitive. Right. When you mean I need to get myself here, do you mean physically or like your mind, your body, soul, like I have to show up and this is who I am? No, physically, it was just appealing to be able to show up and be like, oh, all I needed was a piece of paper with like my own jokes on it, as opposed to let me make sure that the five other people on this team made it. And like, are we all good? And did we warm up? And you know what I mean? Just so much more work. (laughs) Right, right. No, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like COVID of like all the people that are wearing the masks and being good are doing the the work of the project and everybody else is just coasting on the coattails. Not saying that that's like an improv, but like you've got, you've so many more people to kind of get on the same page. Whereas as I can only imagine if you as a standup, it's just like, this is it. I can trust myself and I can rely on myself and I believe in myself. And there it is. What happens if you don't? And you don't have to like go to school. Do you know what I mean? You can write jokes on your own. Like with improv, you have to learn the format. You have Mm. to take classes. There's levels. Like I finished the IO West school, but it's like, how much money is that? That's money that as a standup, I would have been able to spend on touring, on merch, on, you know, stuff that's an investment in myself in a way that you can see gains from. Not that improv didn't help me. By the time I started standup because of my improv training, I'd say like, I try, I I try anything on stage and it doesn't freak me out. And I feel really comfortable um, just not being afraid and counting just that, you know, the whole leap in the net will appear thing. That's pretty cheesy, but improv, but yeah. No, I mean, absolutely true. Have you ever been not comfortable on stage? Um, when I'm bombing. Yeah. <laughs> but before it really then. sucks to be up there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, what's, what goes through your mind when you're bombing? Like, can you give a, a couple seconds of like yeah. what your mental chatter is when you're actively bombing? Oh man. So I think what sucks is. As a stand-up, you have such a keen sense of time because all of your time is measured in sets and you know how long your jokes go. So for most of us, like we know when it's seven minutes is up without anybody telling us. We are now trained how long a 10 minute set is or 20 minute or you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So being that attuned to time is great until you are not getting laughs and then all sense of time is totally fucked because it seems like the two seconds of silence were like three years. You're like, how long have I been up here? Oh my God. You know? And sometimes for me, I can tell that my sets started off weird or like where I lost them where I'm like, oh, oh, I, the timing of that joke, I, or I missed a word. That's why they're not with it. But then Mm. I keep going. And if you don't readjust, then you're just like that half a second behind or, and it's this weird feeling of being outside yourself and seeing that you're fucking up, you know, and how you're fucking up. That you're like, oh no, this is all just delayed or like, oh no, I missed this word or like, oh, I should have gotten them back and checked in with them. And you're like thinking all of that while you're still just telling your jokes. And that can be a really horrifying feeling where you're like, I can see myself 
failing and I know how to readjust, but I can't readjust. No. Oh my God. And then just a full on spiral. Yeah. And then you get off stage and you're like, oh God, please don't tell me I, I had a good set right now. Cause I know you're lying and it's yeah. just embarrassing for everyone. When people do that and, and you know, in your heart of hearts that you didn't have a good set, what, what is your reaction when someone's like, you are incredible. Oh, I'm like, so if it's another comedian, then you're like, okay, please don't. <laughs> I think we all know <laughs> what happened. Save it. And then if it's, um, an audience member, generally, if it's a guy, they're just trying to fuck you. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy because, you know, when you bomb. Um, and then if they're not trying to fuck you and they say that was incredible, you have to learn how to shut the fuck up. Because my first instinct is to be like, oh, no, 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 that was terrible. Here's right. all the ways that I messed it up. But one thing you have to learn as a performer is you can't take someone's experience away from them. Mm. That's not something you get to do. You get to go up and put it out there and however they received it, you unfortunately or fortunately you, in whatever case, you don't get to go and, and, and change it for them. So if they tell you they had an incredible time and you felt like you didn't do well, you just say, thank you so much. I appreciate you because it sucks when you tell them, oh no, I did this. Sometimes they look at you so confused when they're like, but I had a good time. Why are you saying this? Right. And then that that takes a while to learn. Wow. No, I think that's great advice for performers and not performers alike. I mean, like no one can tell it's that one saying of like life is, um, what 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. And like that you can't make anyone feel superior without their consent. Like they have their own thing. You can't tell someone how to feel. And as, mm-hmm. as soon as you do that, we're projecting our insecurities onto them. And now they feel bad and maybe that they have bad taste or something. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, completely remove yourself. I think that's incredible advice. I love that. Yeah. And it takes, it takes a while to learn. And I think people are more susceptible to, uh, to not following it. People who are like, um, I would say either perfectionists, you know, if you grew up and I'm like, I was, you know, a straight A kid and was pretty focused on achievement. And then I think you become really like to a perfectionist to your detriment where you're like, Oh no, but that set wasn't perfect. So I have to out loud say all of the things that were bad about it to the stranger who had a really good time. And it's like, no, (laughs) no, you don't need to do that. Yeah. And the other people I think who do that a lot, I feel like are women and minorities, uh, other minorities, like marginalized voices. I think it's a little bit harder for us because we have to try to be exceptional so much of the time to just be considered good enough mm. that it's hard then to shake that feeling of trying to be exceptional all the time. And then you kind of lose um, perspective on being good. Yeah. Do you think that, we, so were you were a straight A kid, do you find yourself being a type A personality because of that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have a lot of unlearning that I've been doing for a long time about not equating because I don't equate that for other people, mm-hmm. you know, achievement with anything that has to do with worth, really. I'm not like to my friends, like, oh yeah, but what have you achieved in the last year? Totally. <laughs> like the fact that I judge myself like that is just wild. So it's been a lot of unlearning of that. Totally. I feel the exact same way. And something that I'm working on now is what would you say to a friend that you love in a situation like that? And then comparing that with our own negative self-talk is insane. 
it's crazy how we will break ourselves down but build the people we love up when we should be loving on ourselves just as hard. You're singing my song. I've been totally trying to do that. Yeah, because sometimes my friend Christine will say that. She'll be like, Sophia, you would never say that to me. You know, why are you saying that about yourself? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I would. That would be I would be like, that's the craziest thing to say to somebody you love. Yeah, so mean. We are so mean to ourselves. And I don't understand why. I am literally like, I'm trying to read every book about the mind to be like, why are we doing this to ourselves? I don't, I still have no answers. I don't know why we love to be in danger. I don't, I don't know. Maybe we love to try and be the underdog or like maybe the fact that we as like obedient children, because I was also a straight A student and I definitely equate results to worth. And I hate that about myself. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just like, maybe we feel like we need to be under pressure so that we can just make better shit all the time and feel good. Because once we get over this big ass hump, then we're like, Oh, we're worth it because look how hard I worked. I worked myself into the ground thinking, thinking that the hustle mentality was impressive. And like, I thought that burnout was just like, like a, like, the big, the best thing that I can show how big of a warrior I was, but like I'm wounded. <laughs> that is a beautiful and a powerful thing to say. Yeah. I think that, um, that's probably a really, not probably, that is a common feeling for a lot of people. I think, yeah, I think you're just speaking to a lot of people right now with that. Yeah. I mean, we'll get, we're going to take a break really quickly, but we have a a caller question that I think we can dive even more deep into it. Uh, But we will do that after we take a quick break while Sophia gives us an extra piece of advice that you can find at Just a Tip Podcast on Instagram. And then we'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back. Before we get into our caller question, I want to know, Sophia, what is something that you are currently obsessed with that you think other people need to know about? Anything that's helped you in life, whether that's quarantine or otherwise, that helps life be a bit easier or more enjoyable currently? 
It could oh, be anything. Damn. It all okay. could be like a silicon spatula. It could be like tight double knot your shoes. <laughs> That's mine. So I'm fucking obsessed with silicon spatulas. They get every inch Wait. out. Hold on. Let me think for like one second. Yeah. Take your time. Isn't it sad that I can't think of anything that's helped me? No. I mean, in a pandemic, everything has been horrible. <laughs> um, shit. Oh, I know. This okay. is dumb and not important. Um, and only for, for people that wear nail polish. But you know how we okay. can't go to salons right now? And mm-hmm. I... I love a good nail and I was doing gel nail polish before because I can't do regular just chips too quickly and I don't even get why I tried. So I found about out about these color street nail strips, which are gel and like essentially like stickers and you can stick them on your fingers and it lasts for like over a week. So Super hype on those. Wait, so they're basically like stick on nails, but they actually stay. No, they're like gel nail polish, but like a sticker. So instead of they dry out, you basically as soon as you open them, you have to you have to do them. And then they after 24 hours just become like regular gel nails. And you can get these at like Walgreens probably in that one little section. You think (gasps) you get them off of um, Color Street's website. I'm not sponsored by Color Street. (laughs) I just truly love them. And the glitter ones last especially long. Oh, I'm going to do that instantly. You're going to love them. They're so fun. Wait, I love that. I always hate my nails because one time my dad said I have chubby fingers, which means I'm going to be fat when I'm older. It's really been super traumatic. What? Your dad said that? Yeah, it was literally awful. Like, Cancel I don't even, your dad, dude. <laughs> I don't think he would ever remember telling me that, but all of my close friends know. And I, I'm so surprised I'm saying this on a podcast right now, but I, I... Well, parents will say some shit that'll accidentally scar you and they won't even know what it was. Years. My mom doesn't remember any of the things that scarred me. I'm like, cool. I guess this is just my burden to carry. Thanks. <laughs> it's so I am. There's a workbook that I'm using right now. It's called the intuitive eating workbook, because as a kid, like it was so tough because I, w- I grew up in a household that was like, finish your food or else you're grounded. And I think that mm. created so many insecurities with food around me. I've been dieting for my entire life. And so I'm really trying to like again, unlearn all these things. And it's so crazy to see small things that they have no idea that they did. And they're being good parents or, you know, to the best of their ability, but they have no idea how these things are, are going to be carried with us for the rest of our lives until we kind of unpack and resort everything. It's crazy. I remember one of my great aunts when I was a kid, like tilted my face up in like her hand, you know, like and was like, oh, you're such a pretty girl. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is sounding pretty good. And then she's like, you're going to be so much prettier when we get your nose done when you're <gasps> older. No. And I was like, oh, I was like, I was going to go ahead and keep this one. <laughs> is that not okay? <laughs> oh, my God. I was going to stick with the original model. I'm dying. <laughs> Damn, that's like wrapping up trauma in a box is like, here, here you go. Here's a little gift for you to just bring to your grave. Yeah. And there's no way she remembers ever saying that to me, you know, but it's like your thing. It's like, Oh, I'm only going to think about this forever. Thanks. Yeah. Dang. That is, Oh, I'm so scared to be a parent. Like truly, but we'll, we'll see what happens when we get there. I know I'm trying to have a kid and I'm like, (gasps) 
what are you doing? Really? Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> I'm hoping that it's a boy so that I can, there's like less of a chance of me fucking him up because <laughs> it's just so much harder for a girl It yeah to be in this world. I don't know. Yeah. Like I'd rather raise a boy not to be a rapist. Yeah. Than to raise a girl constantly trying to make sure that she doesn't care. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I, it's already a lot of pressure for me, for myself. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. No. And that's even, not even all of it. That's just a t- tip of the shit iceberg. Right. I, I mean, I tell all my guy friends, we have, we've had so many conversations of just being like, Hey, this is kind of what it's like to be a woman. Have you ever thought about this before? And just, they have no idea the things that we go through as women. And like I've, People hear about this all the time, but it's like so very true. Just every time we walk out, the dangers and like the attention and all of this stuff, it's just like, it's exhausting. And it starts when you're a child and men don't even realize that like you've been dealing with this since you were 12 or younger sometimes. Like when you're a little kid, you get told to like watch out for men touching you and you're like, don't even know what that is, but Mm -hmm. you're a child and your parents tell you because it happens and it's just, it's wild. Not to say that men don't get. Sure. Yeah. I'm just saying um, the funny thing is like, the things that men miss out on because of the culture um, are both like funny sometimes and like also sad. Like my best guy friend, he is a 37, 38 year old man. And he, I just found out this year, didn't know that pregnant women, when they get morning sickness, that it happens every morning for a while. He thought that how a woman knew she was pregnant is she threw up once. Oh my God. Like that's the morning sickness. <laughs> we and checked it off the box. Now the yeah, baby and comes. And now she's done. I'm like, I, where do you start with that? <laughs> and it's not like he's an idiot. Do you know what I mean? He's right. like a regular average guy. But he's like, yeah, don't you just have the the one day? I'm like, why do you think women care so much about it? If it was one day, we bleed every fucking month for a week. You think we would be mad about one day of morning sickness? Right. So, yeah, it's just the gap is wild. There's so much that we don't learn in school. I mean, I don't even want to, we have so much to get through and not enough time, but like, I feel like we should learn a little bit more about women in high school when we're learning about, I mean, I I took like a a sex ed class, but they taught me nothing besides like oxytocin. That's the only thing that they taught, they taught us nothing of actual value. No. And they don't teach you anything about like it's the way that you don't know anything about money and I don't understand anything about loans or like right. anything when you graduate high school. It's the same way that they don't teach you anything about how like bodies work or uh, desire or sexuality. It's like you get out like a feral animal who just <laughs> for some reason knows chemistry formulas. For literally what? Like Why? That I think is the worst subject. I'm sorry, any chemists that are listening, but like that's so unuseful for the masses. When it's have you- so specific ever- <laughs> to- and So hard. 
I don't even understand. It's like if we randomly got like basket weaving as a mandatory class. Right. Like the chances of you becoming a basket weaver are probably the same as of you becoming a chemist. And chemistry seems like the kind of thing you can tackle in college pretty easily. And maybe instead, teach me what a loan is. Yeah. When I picture what stocks are in my head, it's just an empty folder that says (laughs) stocks. I open it. There's nothing in it. You know? Anyway. Truly. Oh, my God. I could talk about the the faults of the school system for years. But instead, we're going to take a caller question from someone who's 15 years old. Hi, Megan. I am 15 years old, and I do a lot of advocacy work and just stuff on social media. I guess my problem, if you will, is the fact that whenever I'm in a new environment, I feel a little like an outsider, and I'm currently dealing with a little bit of imposter syndrome and some burnout, which I know are two very different problems. But, yeah, if you have any tips or advice that you or your guests can give me on dealing with imposter syndrome and burnout, that'd be greatly appreciated. Sincerely, imposter syndrome. Can I just like hug her? Cause yes. she sounds adorable and I love where her heart and her head is at. Yeah. 15 years old. I didn't think I know what imposter syndrome was back then or burnout. I, I mean, I was interested in free to bet, but I don't think I would have called it advocacy work, Yeah, but that is what I was into when I was in high school. Wow. I guess, yeah. 15 years old would be sophomore. Yeah, or junior. Oh, okay. Maybe 15 is older than I thought. I think anything under under 18 is like two. (laughs) I don't even remember. This is too long ago. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So there's a twofold here. We have imposter syndrome and burnout. So let's start with imposter syndrome because I feel like this comes up a ton whenever I'm doing live shows and normal podcasts. There's a lot of people that feel this way and I do almost consistently as well. Um, have you ever felt like a fraud? I mean, all the time. Yeah. All the time. I think, again, this is something that happens to women pretty frequently because in like all of my, um, Facebook groups where, uh, it's all women, the the imposter syndrome thing comes up all the time. So, um, I think it's that again, like what I was saying, minorities, marginalized voices, women sometimes get the worst of this kind of stuff because we are not, uh, we don't feel entitled to a space that we occupy because we've been made to feel like we don't belong. Mm -hmm. So when you feel like I'm an imposter and I don't belong, know that there's nothing wrong with you. This is what the environment you've been brought up in has made you feel like. And that you doing advocacy work and claiming a space where you use your voice, you use your Twitter, like you said, to um, do some valuable work, that's incredible. And you're not an imposter. You're doing the stuff. So whenever in your mind you start thinking, do I deserve to be here? Should I be here? Think about the most average person you've ever met. And you're probably going to think about them and remember that they're really confident. So it's only people that work hard and that really do a lot that feel imposter syndrome. So in a weird way, take it as validation that you've been doing really good work and take a breath and be proud of yourself. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to think on a daily basis. I think we beat ourselves up so much 
with even comparison with other people, even if we don't feel like we have any room to stand on or we're not good enough. That happens so much. I am currently listening to an audiobook on my walks in Vermont um, that is getting away from our thoughts instead of fusing with them. So if you start thinking I'm an imposter or I'm a fraud, think, just change the language a bit to say, I'm noticing I'm having the thought that I'm a fraud. And it kind of distances yourself a little bit to not take on that identity. Because I think, especially for performers, like when we feel bad and we have to show up as our true selves, then it just becomes kind of like fabricated and altered in a way that we're no longer authentic. And then people can't connect with us. So if you're doing oh, bingo, right? So if you're doing work for other people and you're showing up as this kind of like, um, like veiled version of yourself, then you're not going to be able to be able to do the good that you could if you really were grounded in who you are and knowing the value of who you are. Does that make sense? Yes, that's so wise and totally, totally makes sense. I think a lot of times maybe people will relate to this feeling where like you are socially nervous about going to a thing, you know, and then because you were nervous, you get there and something about your manner isn't yourself. Yes. So then it seems like you're giving off waves of desperation. Yes. When in reality, it's not that you're desperate. You just cease to be yourself because you're nervous. Yeah. So I hate that feeling. And whenever I get it, I try to like take myself to the corner of the party or outside or something and just be like, uh, bitch, do you care about what any of these people ultimately think? And then I'm like, no, not ultimately. Like who I really care about yeah. are people that I love my family. So if I'm worried, usually it's about strangers or people that are acquaintances that I barely know, you know? Yeah. So it's just important to remember that those people don't really uh, get to make a new you. Yeah. You come, you should come as you are. And if you're feeling yourself feeling nervous and desperate, just take that moment away and remember. I love that. They don't get to make a new you. I love that so much. I, feel very nervous almost all the time. Lately, I'm getting a little bit better at it. But yeah, I definitely feel like I care about what people think so much until I met someone who cared more than me. And it's kind of crazy to, to think that because I'm like, oh, I, I care the most about what people think of me than anyone I've ever met. And one of my friends and I were playing uh, this card game that we love called We're Not Really Strangers. And it's basically like a little vulnerable deck of cards and kind of these prompts that, sorry, I have a, a literal... um what is a, like a cloth over my microphone for a pop filter. This is like so makeshift. It's hilarious. But it <laughs> looks like a little fabric ghost. But we were playing this game and he had mentioned that he cares ultimately the most about what people think of him at all times. He was like, I would be devastated if someone didn't like me because it wouldn't show, they wouldn't understand me or something like that. And I was like, I feel you so much, but in reality, we don't have any control over what people actually think about us. And even if we show up fully as ourselves, thinking that, oh, if they know our true intentions and they know everything about us that we want to put forward, some people are still just not going to like us. And that was the craziest epiphany to have because it's like, oh no, if they just knew me, they would love me. And it's like, mm, that, no, that actually doesn't check out. Some people just aren't going to love you. And that's fine. 
Yes. I get into little loops sometimes where I'm like, oh, this person unfollowed me or I wasn't invited to this thing. And then I'll keep thinking like in loops about it being like, oh, well, that means like they don't like me. And like, what are the reasons they don't like me? Well, it could be this one time that I said this, or maybe they don't think my jokes are funny enough. And, and then when I start doing that, I'm like, wait a minute, um, that does not, that spiral does not benefit me at all. And yes, it's like what you're saying. Some people aren't going to like you. You need to live in a world where you understand that, that some people aren't going to like you, whether it's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. I mean, I like used to like have had this joke where I was saying like, you can unfollow me on Twitter. You can unfriend me on Facebook. I don't care. But if you unfollow me on, on Instagram, I'm like, oh, so just <laughs> the pictures of me living my life. <laughs> are enough for you to hate me. You know, that's how I think yeah. that like, to me, that's worse. Cause I'm like, well, they just disapprove of my being. Right. And it's like, yes, sometimes people will do that. So just let that be, you know, but that doesn't that like such an ultimate insecurity. Oh my God. I mean, I think that the unfollow thing in general is so touchy that like when I want to unfollow someone, so if, if I really want to, I will. But if I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to see this anymore, I'll just mute it. And that feels nicer Same. because it's like the, the path of least resistance, which is awful. Why are we giving so much value to a follow on the internet? These are pixels that we're arguing over. How insane is that? I think the reason is, is because we're afraid of the one time that someone's going to contact you and be like, hey, Megan. Totally. So I noticed that you unfollowed me. Is there anything that I did wrong? I thought we were really close. And right. the fear of that drives us because you know what? Occasionally you will get one of those. Oof. And it's just like people who don't like you. You're just going to have to realize that yeah. sometimes that's going to happen. Oh my, there's a saying. And also don't take it personally. Don't you mute people sometimes because it's your problem. I, for me, most of the time, if I mute you, it's on me. It's because I'm like, I am jealous because you're, you have babies on babies and I'm trying to have a baby. Yeah. And I just had a miscarriage and I don't want to look at it. Ugh. So it has nothing to do with you or, you know, stuff like that where you're like, oh, someone seems like they're spiraling and they're like, we're not close, uh, but they're going through something and I don't want to be a part of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Muting. I guess you're right. I mute people when I am insecure. Like if I'm either jealous of something or if, if I have some like grudge that I haven't gotten over, it's, it's very interesting. I don't mute people on Instagram stories mainly. Like the last person mm -hmm. I muted on Instagram stories is a guy that I had a crush on that was unavailable. And I was like, I'm not going to look at this anymore. See, and that's <laughs> on you, right? It has nothing to do with him. You're like, I can't see this dude. He's triggering bad thoughts in me. It's totally. on us when we do that, which is fine. Yeah, it's fine. Deal with it. You don't need everyone to like you. I think that's a good, a good thing to end on. Let's talk about burnout for a little bit. Do you yes. generally think you have a good work-life balance? No. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try. I try really hard. Uh, I think I get, I'm married to a workaholic, mm. right? And I'm a lesser version of him in terms of, I, I wouldn't say I'm a workaholic, but I definitely get into like, you know, into like a groove and a vibe sometimes where I then am like completely tunnel vision. You probably mm -hmm. have that because you juggle a lot of projects too, right? So when you're getting yeah. in your groove, you're like, okay, so for me to be able to do say like 
uh, write jokes and also be working on my um, screenplay and also be uh, working on um, running my Zoom show. And, you know, if if I'm thinking about all of the different things that I have to do, then I will burn out instantly because even thinking about all the things I have to do is like way too much. Yeah. So I think burnout happens when you let yourself think that you have to be doing everything well all at once when it's like juggling, like you can only hold two plates or however many, I don't know why I'm juggling plates. doesn't matter. Balls. <laughs> you can only hold so many in your hand at a time and then one will be in the air or more. So like, just remember that you can only tackle so many things at once or just the idea that we have to be great at a thousand things at once is just unrealistic, you know? Yeah. I wonder where that comes from. Cause I know a lot of people like that, especially in my circles, because I think we cultivate what's, what's similar to how we think and how we operate. So a lot of my friends are doers. A lot of my friends are perfectionists. A lot of my friends just workaholics anonymous. Like we are, we are the CEO of working too hard all the time, never giving ourselves a break. And I think it goes back to what I was saying before is like, I seeing that as honorable instead of hurt. Um, yes. And also like every time I get through a breakup, it's like, what do I do? I turn to my work. I do the best work I've ever done. I make everything. And that's, that's exacerbating and prolonging this cycle of thinking that, result oriented behavior is value. And it like, that's what I'm still trying to unlearn. Yes. Same. And as an immigrant, I think it's even more so like I moved here when I was 11, you know, you try so hard to succeed because you know, your family, in my case, my mom, like made such a huge sacrifice and, you know, you get so used to all of that, then it's really hard to unlearn it later and stop thinking of working yourself to death as something that you're doing as like a, your like, thank you to your parents or a thank you to the opportunities you were given, you know, at a certain point you have to say to yourself, Oh, um, I am hurting myself for an idea of myself that isn't really serving me or anybody else. I'm like, only going to just nod my head so that can sink in, like just (laughs) silence after that. It's really like checking in with yourself. And that sounds so easy. I was like, Hey self, how's it going? Good. Cool. Let's continue working. But no, like how does it feel in your body? How does it feel in your mind? Are, Are you so stressed that you can't eat? Like that's not something to just not think about. So I think that if you're a workaholic or not, listening to your body is really going to help you with burnout. It's basically like asking yourself exactly what's going on, talking to yourself in those nice ways that we were talking about a bit earlier and not being mean, not saying like, oh, I'm lazy because I didn't get up today. First of all, we are in a pandemic. And like, I don't Mm -hmm. think some people, myself included, sometimes are being like, hey, this is okay, actually, if you're feeling this way, because no matter, even if our minds aren't thinking of it, our bodies are collecting this trauma that we're gonna have to deal with at some point. So on the, on the I guess, idea of burnout, if we don't look at it and we put it off for so long, it'll be a, a separate form of burnout. It'll be emotional burnout. Whereas if we just continuously every day go, all right, self, tell me exactly how you're feeling and whatever you're feeling is valid and fine. And then we can, we have, I mean, most of us have the luxury of kind of changing our days based off of what's given at hand through the pandemic. So it's like, what are you feeling like? Let's address it 
on an individualistic basis instead of thinking that we need to be doing the same thing that we were doing six months ago before this was even a glimpse on our radar. Yeah. And one thing that I read that I think has been helping me uh, is that um, basically when something is like huge as a pandemic happens, essentially your body goes into fight or flight. But this has been going on for months and our bodies can't do that. So what you're feeling as burnout a lot of times is literally exhaustion and fatigue um, from your body not being able to sustain that. So if you are noticing yourself maybe sleeping more, if you're taking naps, you're like, why am I so tired? That's, that's why, that's why, because this isn't normal. Um, we're all essentially grieving mm-hmm. the loss of a million human connections mm. and all of the things that we use to measure life as something good. All of the experience we as we inject into our life to make it awesome, like going somewhere, experiencing something, hanging out with someone, going to a concert, all of these things that we now d- didn't realize how much we would miss, we are now grieving the loss of. So, and for a lot of people, honestly, people are dying. Yeah. I, people lose jobs, people, um, are losing children, mothers, grandparents, young people are dying. You know, it's, it's just something that we need to remember. You can't expect yourself to be functioning at the level that you were before pandemic started. It's unrealistic and cruel to expect that of yourself. This is an unprecedented time. So. Retweet. All of my tweets like that. Absolutely. (laughs) We need to be so much more gentle with ourselves. Okay. We're almost at the end. We, this has been such a fun talk with you. I was so excited because when I was doing my research on you, I was looking up a bunch of different clips. I think you are the only comedian probably to this day that I've like clapped in my place. Too. Like I laugh out loud when I watch comedians <laughs> online, but like, I, I don't, I think it was like, uh, you had a bit about, um, Father's Day and restaurants on Father's Day. Uh, and I was just like, yes, in my, in this place right now. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm clapping in my own place by myself. Like that is incredible. I think you're so talented and so funny. And so I'm, thank I'm you. So That's excited. so kind. I honestly, the best thing uh, I could have heard all week is that you laughed and clapped at my album. That's awesome. Yeah. It's so cool because like when people listen to comedy in general, like if you are, which is like when COVID now is happening, I was nervous for any standup because like the one thing that you want is the one thing that could kill you. It's like, you want people to laugh, but as soon as people open their mouths and project this like laughter, then all of this germs could be coming on to you. And then like all, imagining all of the germs facing you and you're the only person facing the audience full of germs. Like that's very scary. So now it's like, it's also, yeah, weirdly literal that the thing that we want could kill us. It's like, okay, come on. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too true. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's very great. Um, and I'm happy to now know that you're out in the world before I was missing out on all this laughter I could be having. So everyone listening, please go check her out. We're going to, I will um, throw to all of your socials later on, right after we do our last game of the show. It's called tip jar, three words only. So 
People send in a one or two word topic suggestion and we have to give one piece of advice using only three words. So my my normal um, example of this is if the suggestion was Los Angeles, I would say check parking ticket, check parking signs. So three words to give like a little piece of advice. Okay, so the first one is face masks. Do you have three words only for face masks? I guess these could be, this is probably COVID face masks. I was thinking like um, spa face masks, but I guess it would make more sense that we're talking about real masks. Okay. I guess I would say nose and mouth. Ooh, good one. Because I'm tired of seeing dudes walking around yeah. <laughs> for some reason with their nose out of the mask. Yep. I'm like, uh, do you put condoms on your balls? Like, what is this? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay. So that's, that's a good one. Okay. Mine would be um, stop being selfish for the people mm. that are not wearing them. That is so selfish of you and just put it on all the way. Okay. Saving money. Three words only for saving money. Fuck student loans. Ooh, good one. That one's what you don't need to pay it back. You know what I mean? (laughs) What if you don't pay back a student loan, what happens? I mean, here's what I would say. It's honestly more worth it, I think, to just do bankruptcy early in your uh, in your life and to just start over than it is to work your fingers to the bone for the next 40 years to pay back money for an education you may or may not be happy with afterwards anyway. Right. It is so expensive. I was looking at stuff yesterday. Um, on like some interior design degrees. And I'm like, bitch, like I'm already doing this. Like you want me to pay $40,000 to know things I already know just so I can have a degree? Insanity. Nah. nah. I dropped out of art school because I was like, <laughs> I'm already working in the field. What are we doing here? Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. And to me, like I loved taking classes in college and stuff, but none of the classes that I took like I took English, I was an English and Russian major. I mean, what, what am I doing with that? Right. I'm a comedian, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, and I also like, it took me so long to pay back my student loans. And if I didn't. Congratulations for doing it. Dude, thanks. But if I wasn't like, um, illegally arrested by the cops during a a protest and then finally through a like a class action lawsuit gotten some money back I would probably still be paying them off wow I spent ten thousand dollars of that on my student loans and I still was paying them off for at least 10 years after so just fuck student loans (sighs) yeah yeah, I agree. Mine was, I like yours way more because I was going to be like, cook at home. And like, <laughs> yours is way better. Uh, and so let's move on to the last one. The last one is presence. Do you have three words only for presence? I like presence, N-T-S? And yes, yes. Presence. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, it is N-T-S, but it would be nice the other way. I was like, that's a very lofty... <laughs> <laughs> just three quick words on like a really huge concept, if you could. Yeah, I was like, huh, okay. Uh, oh, gift, gift giving presents. Three words only 
for that. Oh, okay. I have something, maybe. Um, make a note. So, like, whenever someone's talking and they mention some sort of thing that is interesting or that they they see that they are interested in, then check out your check out your notes. Take out your notes on your phone and just write something, whether it's like what they had just said, something they want to do, something they're interested in, and then find a gift that attacks one of those things that you wrote down. What a horrible way of explaining that. Make a note. No, that was great. Um, I would say buy in advance Ooh, because I tend to space out until like later. So what I normally do is whenever I'm like traveling or I'm in a store and I see something that reminds me of my, like a friend or my mom or somebody rather than being like, I'll, I'll, I should remember this for later. Cause I won't, I'll just buy it right then. And then I'll keep it at my house yeah. and then I'll be like, so when their birthday rolls around or Christmas, Christmas, I'm like, boom, yeah. I'm ready. Ooh. And I've saved myself so many times, you know, cause sometimes also holidays, uh, just sneak up on you when you're broke or, you know what I mean? Like if you ever have the money and you're looking at a thing that's like, this is going to make my friend happy, just get it then. Cause you're never going to be sorry. You're going to be like, dude, past Sophia was so smart. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I love that so much. I have a, uh, a gift corner in my house Mm. because I read it in a book somewhere. I was like, have emergency gifts just in case something pops up and either things are closed or you can't get somewhere or things are creeping up. Have like an emergency fund in your place of just like some candles or whatever it is that could be gifts for anyone. Truth. I love gift corner. Such a good idea. So good. Uh, That is our last one. This was a delightful podcast. You seem to have like the coolest life in the world and so many experiences <laughs> that like, I can't wait to do a deep dive on everything. I'm a very good stalker. So like if you have people watching every video of you on YouTube, that'll be me. But for other people that want to join me in the quest of learning more about you, where can people find you on the internet? Um, so I am the Sophia S O F I Y A on Twitter and Instagram and my album father's day is out everywhere. So, um, buy it, please Yes, you can stream it. But then I would only get like a quarter of a cent every 10 years. So, oh my God. Don't. Yeah. So buy it. <laughs> That's much better. And then you mentioned you have zoom shows. Um, yeah, I, you know what, just tune into my podcast because I'll announce them. I have a podcast about 90 Day Fiance with my friend Miles Gray. It's called 420 Day Fiance. And I have a podcast about love and sex around the world called Private Parts Unknown. Check it out. Yay. Thank you so, so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so much. I can't wait to do a deep dive on you. I hope you're ready for mutual stalking. Oh no. Just know that I've grown so much than anything on the internet. Me too. Me too. (laughs) That's the only trajectory that we can hope for. Anyone listening, if you have a sticky situation or burning concern, call us at 805-751-9071. You give us your age and we will do the best we can at the time we're doing it. I think we did a good job today. Um, I think so. Yay. Good. Good for us for being good to us. We'll see you next week. Well, two weeks from now on Just a Tip. Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>